Well, good morning. It's good to be back with you guys. Um, I was on vacation this past week, and I'm, I just hear that Pastor Trevor did an awesome job in, in my absence. Amen. <laughs> Today, you know, it's funny when you're on vacation, um, I think as a pastor, it it's can be sometimes difficult to like just completely disconnect. And so you, like you always kind of have some things in the back of your mind. And I was, I was reading through scripture and I was, I was actually, I don't normally do this, but I was getting into the whole like end times things and debates and looking into the, the book of Revelations and just considering that for some reason. I don't, I don't normally get into that um, because it's a rabbit hole that, you know, it's, it's tough to, to kind of like come out of. And so... Um, I was realizing like there's a lot of books and there's a lot of blogs written about the last days. There's a lot of classes and, and sermon series and things like that, commentaries and and um, and books written about like what 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 the Book of Revelation is really about. Um, discussions about what the mark of the beast is. I remember back in the day um, when Shaw's came out with their um, Shoppers Club card. My mother-in-law thought that surely that was the mark of the beast. It was, uh, we had arrived, and now, my goodness, if that was the mark of the beast, well, we've, we've missed it. But um, it's, it's interesting, you know, there's, there's a lot of debates about, like, the rapture. Like, are we going to be pre-trib, post-trib, mid-trib, partial rapture, you know, pre-wrath rapture? What, what's, what's, what's it going to look like? And, and some of us in the body of Christ are intensely interested in the signs of the end times. Um, maybe you're reading a book about it right now. And in Matthew chapter 24, his, Jesus' disciples ask him the same thing. Like, they're inquisitive, and they're, they're like, hey, could you tell us the signs of the end of the age? And so in Matthew chapter 24, verse 4, this is what Jesus says. He tells them, he says, take heed that no one deceives you. In other words, like, pay attention. I don't want you to get tricked. He says, for many, many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ, and will deceive many. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars, See that you are not troubled, for all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. For the nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom, and, and there will be famines and pestilences and earthquakes in various places. And so we, we read this and we're like, okay, cool. All right, so deception, wars, rumors of wars, famines, pestilences, earthquakes, got it. Look out for these things. But for some reason, I don't hear many people talking about the, the other end-of-age signs that Jesus mentions in this same portion of Scripture. And he, and he actually kind of says it in two different ways, in verses 10 and verse 12. He says in verse 10, and then many will be offended, will betray one another, and will hate one another. And then in verse 12, he says, and the love of many will grow cold. So Jesus says that, that one of the signs, he's like, pay attention. One of the signs of the end of times is that many will be offended and the love of many will grow cold. And I, and I would just say this, like as we're looking for the mark of the beast and wars and rumors of wars and famines and pestilences and earthquakes and blood moons, and all of those things are things that you and I really can't control, right? I mean, last I checked. But Jesus does warn us of some things that we can take guard over, like guarding your heart um, as a sign of the end of the age, that many will be offended 
but that doesn't have to be your story. And that the love of many will grow cold, but, but I would say that the church has the opportunity to shine brighter because of it. And, it, and, if, and if it's important to Jesus, then it should be, should be important to us. He says in verse 13, he says, but he who endures to the end shall be saved. And I do believe that we are in the last days, at least we're closer than we were yesterday, right? Like, I don't know, like, I, I don't know if it's going to be another day or today or a year from now or 20 years from now, but like, if the Bible's true, then we should be watchmen on the wall being on guard for the signs of the ends of times, especially the ones that we have control over. Especially those. And as we, as we stand back and look at our world today, I don't know if, man, like, I think COVID kind of highlighted some of this stuff. Social media doesn't help. But, like, how many of you realize, like, we are in such, like, a highly charged atmosphere right now in our culture? Like we are, we are, our whole society is like fueled by offense. Have you noticed? Like, I mean, you're not offended. You're not paying attention. If you're, if you're not offended, people will be offended that you're not offended. Because you're not offended enough and you're not, you're not paying attention enough because you should be highly offended because I'm offended. Now I'm offended that you're not offended that you're, like we, we are so offended. And sadly, the church is not exempt from this. Like, I find, that, I find that many Christians are just as easily angered as, and offended as the world. And what concerns me is that we would, we would kind of like be pulled into a demonic lullaby by taking our cues from a world that would lead us in a wrong direction. Like, well, you should just be offended. And so it kind of leaks into that same mentality into the church. And so we just take our cues from the world around us and just say, I guess the, the way that we live our life is to just operate in offense. And, and I would just say, like, I mean, if it's a big deal to Jesus, it should be a big deal to us. If he outlines it as, as one of the, like, signs of the end of days, then he's like, you, we should be different. And what does that difference look like? What, what makes you and I as believers in Christ, like, what makes us different? And I, and, I, and I fear that for so many years, what's made us different or what we have viewed that has made us different is that we believe something different. But like, I, I believe in Jesus and, and I believe those things that we sang about today and you don't, so that's what makes me different than you. Or like, uh, I say these certain words and I don't say these certain words and so that's what, that, what, that makes me different. Or I go to church and you don't. Or I go to this church and you go to that church and that's the wrong church and this is the right church. That's what makes us different. Or my political leaning is different. You, you would vote for this person, and, and I would never vote for this person. I would only vote for this person. I don't know why you would ever do that. This is what makes us different. But Jesus actually defines what that difference should look like. He says in John chapter 13, verse 35, he says, By this, everyone will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. And it's certainly not as cool as the other things, but like, Essentially, Jesus is saying, like, what makes you different, church, is, like, how well you love. And, and James, the half-brother of Jesus, kind of says the same thing. And once you start, like, looking for it, you find it everywhere. He says in verse 119, he says, My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Now, 
We, you've read that before. You've read verse 19. You've seen it before. I, I think I mentioned it a couple weeks ago, that same verse. Now, go back to verse 19 really quick. It says, my beloved, be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. And then you notice, there's not a period at the end of that. Did you, did you see that? Like in the NIV, I think that's New King James. In the NIV, it's actually um, a comma. And, and I find that many times we don't quote verse 20 as though it were like the same thought. We're like, you know, we kind of put like a verse 19, we, it's the end of a verse, but it's not the end of James's thought. And this is what he says in verse 20. Because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. You put that on a mug. <laughs> Write that on your, your mirror. Isn't that interesting? Like, he says this, but human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. To which I'm like, wait, what? Like what James is telling you is that your anger may not be producing what you think it is. He's like, human anger does not produce the, the righteousness that God desires. Which begs the question, I think for every single one of us, for me included, like, how is your anger working for you these days? <laughs> Not well, right? Like, I mean, how's your anger working for you? Is it making you more like Jesus? Is it making you like the world a better place? You got more joy because of it? Because you're angry? Like, is it giving you more capacity to love? Is your anger improving your life? I think what James is saying is that like, and this is so radical, especially in our day, he's essentially telling us, don't trust your anger, which is weird because it's the one thing that we seem to trust in our day and age. It's like, if I'm angry, man, I know I'm right, right? And he's like, no, 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 no. Don't like, don't trust your anger, um, mainly because you're not the best judge of it. Ouch. Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna read a scripture because I can tell I'm like stepping on your toes. But you aren't. You aren't the best. Let me let me prove it to you. Okay. Proverbs chapter 18, verse 17 says this: In a lawsuit, the first to speak seems right until someone comes forward and cross-examines. Now, who's the first to testify in my life? Me in my own head, in my own anger. I am the first person to testify. And let me tell you, I am never the villain in my story. I am always the hero and the victim in, in all of the testimony that my anger wants to tell me. I'm, I never, my anger never tells me that I'm the villain in my story, which means that somebody has to be the villain. So who's the villain? You. You're the villain in my story, just like I'm probably the villain and yours. And so when we put our trust in anger, let me just tell you, like I am always much more confident in my side of the story than I am in yours. Like I'm sure yours is good, but like if you just heard mine, it'd be much better than yours. Because, because my anger always tries to convince me that my anger is righteous anger. That's verse 20 right there. That's James 1.20. Because my anger always tries to convince me that your anger is unnecessary anger. Like your anger is unrighteous anger. But my anger, my anger is righteous. It's always righteous. And why would I have it? 
Like, obviously, I'm, I, my anger is right. Like, I wouldn't be angry. If I'm always right, so <laughs> my anger, I'm always right. Put them two together. Like, it kind of makes sense. And James in verse 20 is like, don't trust your anger because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires because your anger will fool you into thinking that you've taken action. Let me say that again. Your anger will fool you into thinking that you've taken action. And I think what James would say is do not confuse your anger with action. My concern is, is that we live in such a day where offense is so real and anger is uh, the commodity that we seem to be dealing in and that we think that like because we're angry about something, we've done something. And we confuse anger with, with action. And when we do that, we're fooled into thinking that making a point is making a difference. When we confuse anger with action, we will... We'll, We'll fool ourselves into thinking that, be, that, that being right is being a light in the world. Or we'll be fooled into thinking that like ranting on social media means that we've taken a stand for someone. As if those two things are, are, are the same. And, and, and here's the thing, I mean, it's so elusive. Like we'll be fooled into thinking that knowing the truth is the same as, as loving one another. It's that tension that we were talking about a couple weeks ago. Like, we'll be fooled into thinking that casting our political vote is fulfilling the good commission, the great commission. But it's not. Like, anger is always fine with just making a point. But godly passion won't stop until it makes a difference. And this is where, like, I think where Jesus is talking about the end of days and the end times and in those times, the love of many will grow cold and many will be offended. And James talking about how human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Like, it's this, it's this reality that if we put our trust in something uh, like a feeling or in our own anger, then we will, we will be sorely disappointed. Let me read this for you. In, in Luke chapter 17, verse 1, he says, Jesus says to his disciples, it's impossible that no offenses should come, which means like, dude, people are going to hurt you, okay? It's impossible that no offenses should come, but woe to him through whom they do come. So if it's inevitable that offenses should come, right? If it's inevitable that you're going to hurt me, that I'm going to hurt you, that I'm going to say something and I'm not going to do it right, or that I'm not going to follow through with what I did say that I was going to do, or I talked about you, or I gossiped, or I, if, if it's inevitable that offenses are going to come, like, how do we try to stay unoffendable? Like if he says, like, if the love of many will grow cold and, and many will be offended, like how do we not fall into that? How do we not fall into those end of days warning? How do we not fall into trusting into our human anger, thinking that it's producing the righteousness that God desires? Like what, what does that look like? How do we, is it even possible? I've been asking myself this all week. Is it even possible? Like how do we try to stay unoffendable? Because you know what? Right now I'm offending you. And you have a choice right now. You can be like, well, I'm going to write him off as a jerk. Or maybe there's some thread of hope here. Like maybe I'll have to keep listening. Maybe I'll leave. I don't know. But we got to come to this place where it's like, is this, is this something that is available to us as Christians or, or, or not? Is it even possible? And I think one of the keys is understanding what offense is. What is offense? So this week I was looking up... Uh, I actually looked it up in the, in the Greek. I got up my concordance and 
looked it up and I was like, okay, what is the, the definition of offense? Now, it is going to blow you away because the word offense that, that is in the Greek, is, it, it does not even come close to what you think it's going to mean. The, the Greek word is skandalon. You can say it with me, skandalon. It, this is what it, the actual definition of offense means in Greek. It's the trigger of a trap. What the heck? I was like, what? Like, a, it is the part of a trap that holds the bait that lures the animal into the trap. That's what an offense is. It's not like, well, somebody said they were going to do something and they didn't or they did this to me or they hurt me or they misused or neglected or didn't include me. Like, I think, like, okay, that's an offense. It's something that I took offense to. But, like, the, the Greek word, when Jesus says offenses will come and many will be offended, is this word. It's this. Let me show you. I have a, this is a, a mouse trap. I know this is dangerous and I haven't looked, I haven't figured it out yet, but because these are the old school ones. I was going to get the ones with like the alligator, you know, mouth with the plastic, which would have been so much safer, but then it wouldn't have probably been as cool. So, so the way, th this is how an offense works, okay? So you, so you have this thing, hold it down, right? Okay. I'm going to mess it up. I know it. Oh my gosh. So this is how it works. Okay. So the trap is set and right here, on this part right there, that little part that sticks up, the little copper part, that is where you place the bait. And that place right... <laughs> that place right there, that part is where you... Is that, that's the offense. That's the part that, that it's talking about. That, the part that you place the bait on. Okay, so this is the way it works. If we're going to kind of go by this same. <laughs> I did not mean to do that. Let me set that again. That's why I held it in the way that I did. That's why they're so good. That's why offenses work. Okay, so you place the bait on the trap, on that one part of the trap that, that the Bible says is scandalon, which is the offense, right? Um, and it's baited in many different ways, right? Like, whatever, we, we've, we all hold offenses, right? We've got things that, that go on in our life, and um, people offend us sometimes by the, what they say or what they don't say. Sometimes they offend us by what, what they do or what they don't do. Some, some offenses are, are, are serious and, and toxic in our life, and some are just like, man, they didn't even know that they just walked by you without saying hi. And, I mean, there's like... There's all levels of this, right? So, but the reality is, is it gets baited. And then we're like, hmm, that smells good. I should, I should see what that's all about and see what if I can hold on to that thing. And all you do is you just go to take a little, that wasn't as bad as I thought it was going to be. And you said, but it did steal the end of the pencil. Um, isn't that interesting that the word offense actually means this. This tiny little part of a trigger of a trap. So an offense is essentially Satan's setup to get you upset. Essentially, it's like the bait of Satan to lure you into a trap. And when you take on an offense, when you go after it, right? right the only one who gets hurt is 
you. See, because we all need to be baited into offense. I mean, or else we wouldn't do it. If we just saw it for what it was, we'd be like, please, I don't, I don't want to get, I mean, why would I want to die here, right? Why would, I, why would I want this to be the hill that I die on? Why would I want this to be the thing that, that I would be lured into? We, we all have bait on there to lure us into the trap, and, and an offense is a perfect way to do that. And I'm mean, thinking about this, like, think about Adam and Eve in the garden. The snake comes in. How did the snake, the serpent, Satan, bait Eve? It wasn't just with a piece of ripe fruit. It wasn't just like, hey, this looks really pleasing to the eye and tasty. He baited her with offense. Did God really say? I think God's holding out on you, don't you think? I mean, you really, you're going to put all your trust in him? Like, I think he's holding out on you. I think he knows that if you did eat this, then, I mean, you'd be like him. I think, he's, I think he's actually not for you. I think he's against you. It's that easy, right? And I would just encourage you in the midst of like many offenses will come and it's inevitable, it's impossible that they will not come. Do not take the bait of Satan because the only one who suffers is you. Don't give the enemy the satisfaction of allowing an offense to hinder your destiny. So I just want to leave you with a couple things. Um, how, do we, how do we stay unoffendable? The first one I would say is this. Lower your expectations of others. <laughs> Sometimes we, um, it's not even what people do or what they don't do. Sometimes it's the expectations that we have and that we place on people that can offend us. Um, I'm just going to read a scripture for you in 2 Timothy chapter 3. Paul is talking to Timothy, and he's talking about the end of days. It's, it's a sober uh, realization of our world today. He says, but mark this, there will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of good. I mean, this, this is, he's describing the last days. And I'm always surprised at how people are surprised how other people act when this is kind of like, like we should not be shocked when the world acts like the world. And sometimes we'll, we'll be like, I, I, just, I just thought, and sometimes the fact is we put godly expectations on ungodly people. The reality is, like, if they're not Jesus, they probably will let you down. Like, myself included. Like, it's that reality. I think sometimes if we can pull back our expectations of other people, it doesn't set us up for taking on an offense of putting an expectation on them that maybe was, was a bit high. I'm not saying that people don't do wrong and that you should just have like a bare bones level of expectation, but, but it would do us good sometimes to just not have as high of a ex, uh, threshold of expectation on other people so that we don't have as far to fall in our disappointment of them. Amen? That's hard. Number two is pre-decide how you're going to handle offense. Well, how can you do that? Because it'll come. It always comes. It's coming right now. It com it'll come tomorrow. It'll come as you try to walk out, like drive out of here and all these yahoos don't even know how to drive here in Maine. It's ridiculous. <laughs> the guy sitting next to you, you're gonna be like, I gotta get out of here before him because 
almost hit me backing up the other day. Like, this is reality that, like, they don't even know it. He doesn't even know he can't drive. Like, but you're having to deal with the reality of just these people, these nincompoops that are just out there given licenses. It, it doesn't even make sense and think somebody should take charge of this stuff, right? But they don't. But they don't. And so we're, we're left in this. So you got to pre-decide how you're going to handle offense because it's going to come. It's just going to come in a different flavor. Like today's blueberry, tomorrow's raspberry. Like you don't know what it's going to come in, but it's, it's going to come. And, and people give us opportunities every day to be offended. And most of the time they don't even realize it, which completely angers me. Because they should understand the level of their depravity. But they don't. Have you ever noticed that like there are some days, like you're having a good day, and like somebody will do something, and it's a boneheaded move, but you don't even take offense to it in the least. You're just like, ah, whatever. We was like, water off a duck's back. Ain't no big deal, right? And then there are other days where somebody could do the exact same thing and you were like, I have had it. I am D-O-N-E done. I am cutting them out of my life, right? They are toxic and I am done with them, right? Have you ever been there where you're just like, huh? My point is this, like, like if we're unwilling to recognize the reality that we when it comes to offense, that we play a role in it? Maybe like your bad day might possibly play a role in how you either take it or, or leave it. And it's no, no sense talking about it. But Jesus is literally saying like, we have a, we have a responsibility, in fact, like an, an, an ability to take it or leave it. To pre-decide how we're gonna respond when they come because it's not if they come, it's when they come. It's impossible, the Bible says, for them not to come. And so Jesus has some ludicrous things to say, as most of the time in Luke chapter six, of how to handle those type of people. He says this, it's, it's maddening. He says, but to you who are listening, so if you're listening, he says, I say, love your enemies. And it gets worse. If you like already like offended, it gets worse. He says, do good to those who hate you. Are you kidding me? <laughs> Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. If someone slaps you on one cheek, turn to them the other also. That's ridiculous. I'm sorry, Jesus. I don't... If someone takes your coat, steals your coat, do not withhold your shirt from them as well. Give to everyone who asks you, and if anyone asks what belongs to you, do not takes what, what belongs to you, do not demand it back. Do to others as you would have them do to you. you. And this is the epitome of just ludicrous statements. And what, what probably uh, messes me up the most in this scripture, this litany of scriptures here, is that Jesus does not consider my circumstances. My circumstances. Because I tend to think that if Jesus just heard my story, if he knew, like, he wouldn't say these things. He must have been saying there's a bunch of, like, then, like, like I use this word again, like nincompoops. He must have been speaking to people who are just, like, wrecks of life, right? But if he heard my circumstances, if he knew my story, then I tend to think that he would probably say, like, Justin, whoa, man, seriously, like, you need to just keep hating your enemies. I mean, they're bad. Now, hate those who hate you. Yeah, curse those who curse you, Justin. Absolutely. In fact, if somebody like hits you, like hit them back harder. And if you can get the first punch in, do it. Because you got the righteous anger. All these other people, man, they're messes. 
I tend to think that if Jesus heard my story, he would not say what he said there. Like, he'd just be like, I'm going to just take that out. I'm, gonna, I'm not going to say that for you. But I want you to understand, like, what Jesus is not saying here is this. Well, they didn't do anything wrong. Because they did. Because they did. He's not dismissing it. He's not saying, well, you're just overreacting, you know, the fact that they just left you and, or divorced you. Just, yeah, just get over it. No, they did hurt you. What Jesus is not saying is that, well, you know, you have to be besties now with the person who hurt you. That's not what he's saying. Because honestly, there are some relationships that are just plain toxic. You may have to walk into forgiveness, but that doesn't mean that you get BFF necklaces and walk around with them. It doesn't mean that at all. What Jesus is not saying is, well, you just, just you know what? Somebody hurt you. Like, don't confront bad behavior. Don't confront sin. He's not saying that at all. In fact, sometimes the most loving thing you can do is to confront someone. I think what Jesus is saying, and I, maybe he's like pulling, pulling him in, he's like, he's saying, you can be free no matter what they do. Like you, you can be free no matter what they do. Because in this world, you will have trouble and it is impossible that, that offenses will not come. He's saying, like, you, you just don't have to take the bait. And when you don't take the bait of Satan, you'll find that you can do good to those who hate you and bless those who curse you and pray for those who mistreat you and do to others as you would have them do under you because, because God never gives us a command that he also doesn't enable us with the power to accomplish. To the point where... It could be like, well, no offense, none taken. I'm, I'm not taking this bait. I refuse to allow this to get in the way of, of what it is that God's called me to. Why don't, you, why don't you stand with me? It's, uh, it's so easier said than done. Like, it's so simple. And you're like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Until, until like, that thing that, like, pops up in you, like, you're like, I don't know if I agree with this. I don't know if I agree with this statement. I agree with it for other people, but not for me. It's funny, I was, I was reading this week in Matthew chapter 10, and in, I don't even know why the Lord brought me to this portion of Scripture, but it's the portion of Scripture where Jesus sends out the 12 disciples and um, he gives them really clear instructions. He's like, I, I, you guys are going to go out. You're going to go do ministry. All right? And then he, after this, he sends out the 72. But this is where he sends out the 12. And he gives them instructions. Let me read them for you real quick. He says, in Matthew 10, verse 7 and 8, he says, As you go, proclaim this message. The kingdom of heaven has come near. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, and drive out demons. That's like, okay, good. These are your marching orders. And then it gets a little weird. Because he starts talking about like, well, don't take any money with you and just bring whatever you have. And if you've got just the sandals and, and the tunic that you've got, like, just don't bring anything else other than that. And then it gets even weirder. Because in these marching orders, Jesus says in verse, verse 11 of Matthew 10, he says, whatever town or village you enter, 
Search there for some worthy person and stay at their house until you leave. Okay. As you enter the home, give it your greeting. If the home is deserving, let your peace rest on it. If it's not, let your peace return to you. If anyone will not welcome you or listen to your words, leave that home or town and shake the dust off your feet. It goes from like clear to what are you talking about, Jesus? I mean, he's like, give your peace, but if it doesn't rest, then let your peace return to you and then shake the dust off your feet and, and, and move on. And I felt like the Spirit of God said to me as I was reading this, he's like, this is that. Like Jesus is telling his disciples before he even sends them out, hey, you're going to go to some places that people are going to love you and they're going to receive your message. And then you're also going to go to other places where people will hate you and they're going to reject your message. And Jesus is giving them marching orders on, on how to deal with offense before he even sends them out. It's almost like he kind of leans them in and like, guys, bring it in, bring it in, bring it in. Here's the first thing. No matter what happens, don't you let anyone steal your peace. Don't you let anyone steal your peace. You go into a house, you're received into the house, you, you extend your peace, but if they reject it, you take your peace back. Don't you let any situation, don't you let any event, don't you let any offense, don't you let any person steal your peace. Your peace is your power. So you keep it. You can extend it, you can share it, but if it's rejected, let it come back to you. Don't you let anyone steal your peace. And then he goes on and he's like, essentially the whole shake the dust off your feet. And it was this reality as I was like praying through this, like what does that even mean? Like it's, it's this reality that like dust will come, but don't allow the dust of offense to settle on you. Don't allow that to like distract you from your destiny. So shake it off and move on. Just move forward because your life is too short and your calling is too great to live offended. To allow the dust of offense to settle on you and it just, it just piles up. 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 Don't allow the dust of offense to distract you from what it is that God's calling you to do because it's a distraction of the enemy. So shake it off and move on. Shake it off and move on. You keep your peace no matter what they do. Do not give that offense, the ability or the opportunity to dictate your destiny. Don't allow it to hinder you. You keep your peace. Don't let anyone steal it. Dust off your feet and move on. It doesn't mean that what they did was okay and it doesn't mean it. It just means, I'm sorry, I just can't allow your stupid to hold me back. <laughs> I mean, I'm saying it kind of like layman's terms. I'm sorry if it's a little too, like, just out there for you, but like, I, I really, I don't have, my time is short. My calling is great. Like God's called me. To, I, I, I'd love to sit here and stew and, and take on your offense and, and crawl into the, into the trap. I'm, I just don't have time for that right now. 
keep your peace and dust it off. Be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. So what I'd love to do as we, as we sing here, ending, I know that even as we've been talking, like there's this, there's maybe some situations, some people that have just been kind of like ding, 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 ding. And here's what I would say, like keep your list short. What is it that maybe God is just saying, like, I just need you to, you've allowed this situation to steal your peace. You've allowed this situation to steal your joy. You've allowed this situation to distract you from from what it is, the direction that I've placed you in. You've allowed this to get in the way of me. What is that situation? And and as we sing, I I just want to encourage you today. It's not, there's nothing magical about it. Maybe for you today, it is just giving it over to the Lord. Like, Jesus, I just release them. I release them in Jesus' name. I lift up that situation. I lift up that person. I lift up that, that event, and I just release it in Jesus' name, and I will not allow that. I, I, just, I just ask for that peace back in my life. I've been living out of this other way. Lord, I just, I just ask for that peace to return to me. It is the power that you've placed in each and every single one of us. So as we lift up that name, maybe for you, you can come up here, you can stay in your seat, whatever, but you just, just, just release that. Say, Lord, I just release them over to you. I release this, this situation over to you. I give it to you, Jesus. And I ask that that peace would return, that I could walk in my destiny without being hindered by the offense. Lord, we thank you for that. Let's lift up his name. Let's lift up his name, church.